Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. What do eight bags of concrete mix, a cooler full of 30-pound sea bass, and a 10-inch compound miter saw have in common? They're all things that are easier to load in and out of the bed of the new F-150. Thanks to its new available pro-access tailgate, that's also a swing gate. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024. Cargo and load capacity limited by weight and weight distribution. No, but I adjusted the lighting. The lighting dipped a little bit. So I'm, I'm you look, you are good looking in that lighting. Let me tell you, man, you're handsome. Woo, man, look at that <laughs> smile. How did you get those teeth that white if you only brush once a day? It's unbelievable. Oh, yeah, baby. What's up? Chris Sims on Button. Chris Sims here. Ahmed Farid. What up, Ahmed? How you doing, man? You do good. have the most clear picture best even lighting i've seen on all of tv i'm just i don't know what you've done i know you take great pride in this kind of crap and you've really got it set up very nicely see that's what you always ask me it's like you don't watch movies you don't keep in touch with popular music pop culture at all what do you spend your time doing i spend my time researching stuff to like shoot clean video i don't know that's my weird that's my weird hobby so give me two more months and this will look as good as studio three back in stanford connecticut i just need a couple more months to get get to that point oh my gosh well i hope we don't get to that point okay because i'm i, know, I don't know true. if i could do this for a few more months but you do look good and um you too chris you know I saw your little fucking snarky comment on social media about my house here. My wife hasn't met you. She's got a bone to pick with you already. I mean, you're, oh, just, no. you're in deep. And she's Sicilian, man. I wouldn't fuck with her. I mean, you're in deep crap. You really are. No, I'm just joking. So she doesn't know yet, but I'm yeah. going to show her later today. <laughs> it's funny. Matt, uh, Matt Casey gave me the idea a couple weeks ago. He's like, why don't you just look at everyone's backgrounds that we have working at NBC Sports <laughs> and, and grade them? And I was like, oh, great. I'm, I'm throwing myself into the fire right here. And my wife, it's funny you say that because my wife is like, you think people are going to like that? They're going to like that you're picking apart their background and what they have in their <laughs> own homes. And so you're right. I think women are more sensitive to that stuff. And so your wife might not be happy. So please actually don't show her what I talked about. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, well no, I'm definitely going to show her. I'm definitely. But I really <laughs> like this. I think it's kind of cool. And uh, I had no problem with you picking apart my house a little bit. I live in an old house. One of those doors is a closet and one is actually a door, just so you know, to the hallway. Oh, okay. All right. Good so clarification. Just so we're clear there. Yeah. Okay. Now, uh, Chris, this is a very special is... podcast. Hold on. Why? Hold on. Very special podcast. Very special day today. Why? It's what, 420. What, it? And I know you what? have lots of fatties rolled up for 420. So where's your bong? Did you have it in the house somewhere? Or where is it? Nope. I have my vice right next to me, though. Diet oh, Pepsi. gosh, here we go. Here we go. Yeah, no. This is a significant day for you, though. I understand that, Chris. I understand that. Do you do anything differently on this day than any other day, though? 
No, you know what? I'm, this is where I'm really messed up in the head, Ahmed. Okay, like it's been 420 too many days in a row here since the quarantine started. <laughs> all right, so I'm a little like I went in today, like Monday, going, you know what? I need to take a little break. But now that here we are, halfway point of 420, um, I think I'm going to say negative Ghost Rider to that. And yes, I will be partaking in activities later today. Yes, I will. I mean, maybe you've already taken your break here so far. So you've taken your break, and now the second half of the day, you resume normal activities. Uh, it is 420, <laughs> so a special day. It is also special too, Chris, because we're finishing up your final position group for the top five rankings. we got the offensive linemen here where you grouped – in five, although there are a lot more names out there, and I think you thought there were seven or eight worth mentioning. So we'll we'll go through those. We'll take a look at some of your Robin Hood guys, some guys that didn't Great. fall in your top five at each position, but you liked enough and you think they're not being talked about enough and you think they could rise right. up the draft boards or could be taken earlier than some people are talking about. So we got that whole thing coming up. I do also want to mention, because before we did this podcast here today, you talked with uh, C.J. Henderson, your number one cornerback out there. So that interview is coming up on YouTube. You also are going to talk to Isaiah Simmons, C.D. Lamb, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. And I'm finding out those are all your number one guys at each position. So I'm starting to figure it out. You promised an interview to, or, or you were <laughs> promised an interview by putting the guys number one. Is that how this whole thing works? <laughs> I'll kiss your butt if you come on yes. unbuttoned and do it. Yeah, do you an will be number me. one. <laughs> what do you learn? Well, no, what do you learn from those? What do you learn from those interviews? So you talk to these guys, and, and and you really go on for. I mean, I think they're like good twenty minute interviews. What do you learn most from these interviews? Well, you know, it's hard. First off, they're college kids, right? Who are a little guarded because they don't want to say anything that's going to hurt their draft status in you know three days. So you know, they're they're a little tight that way. But I think you do learn a bit, a little bit about this. The kid in general. You know, what's he like? Is he an outgoing alpha? Is he a quiet reserve type of guy? Is he going to lead by, you know, example? Is he going to lead by talking a little bit? Uh, and, and, you know, my experience, like, let's just say, for instance, with C.J. Henderson, I, I, you know, I knew right away, even before we started the interview, the way he came on FaceTime and we began to talk, I went, oh, this is a good kid. He's got his act together. He's smart. He had just got done working out. He had a little glisten on his face because he was sweating. So those are things I look at and go, hey, here he is four days before the draft. He could certainly be going, I'm going to go in the first round. I don't need to do crap. And he's working out, let alone he did have some fun with the interview, had some personality, and yet had the right tone of professionalism as well. So, you know, it's hard to do over FaceTime, but you get at least a little feel for the guy in general. So those interviews coming out over the next few days as we lead up to the draft, a lot of those guys are going to be taken early, early, most in the first round, if all these mocks are correct. Um, before we get into some of the reaction to your linebacker rankings and your defensive tackle rankings, the unofficial uniform police, which is you and myself, have to chime in again because the new, the new team, uh, the Patriots, have, have been the latest team to modify their uniforms. And Chris, if and you guys out there, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see the the home, the all blue, the blue pants, and the white and blue on the uh, the left side, the away jerseys. So the the all blue is the color rush, Chris, that they have been using the past couple of years. He got kind of a retro look with the red and white shoulder bars. Um, it's it's subtle, but you know what? I, I think a lot of teams, Browns, just went retro. 
I'm liking the retro feel with a lot of these updates. And so I do think this is an incremental improvement from the Patriots. I do too. I'm with you. I'm glad we both agree on that. You know, I, I like the retro simplicity of the jersey. I do. I like that little stripe on top. I'm a big fan of their color rush uniform. I, I am. I really like that blue and how it all looks together. You know, I will say this. I'm shocked that there's no silver pant combination. You know, how many times did we see the Patriots over the years win big games wearing those silver pants and blue jerseys, uh, you know, with Tom Brady and, and whatever else. But, you know, I think it's, it's a great blend of being different, but yet keeping some of the same principles of what have made the Patriots. I, I've always been a fan of their uniform anyways. I'm never going to say it's like top five, but it's got a good classic look. And they've built a, a history here over the last 20 years to where I don't think they should ever deviate too far away from the Tom Brady era look. And I think this is just enough of a deviation and yet it keeps it the same too. So I'm, I'm a fan and I'm glad you like it too. I will peel the curtain back. I was considering them previously when we talked about top five and bottom five jerseys. They were in contention for my bottom five jersey helmet combination. I, I was just kind of getting over the old look. And I think now they are solidly in the 15 to 20 range. So not, not, in, the, not in the bottom. They're, they're in the mid-pack. <laughs> Were you a fan of like the Pat the Patriot look, like when we were growing up, the red, white, and no, blue that, with the guy snap? No, that's a little yeah, too retro me for me. I think I didn't. I didn't like I think that so one either. Too. No, you're right. Uh, that okay. was like uh, like the old basketball league. What the hell was that called? Not the NBA. What was the other one? The ABA. The ABA. It, yeah, the ABA. Yeah, it, Pat the Patriot looks like an ABA or a USFL cartoonish. Yeah, yeah, a little too much. I'm with you. I'm with you. you and, of wanna, course, there's yeah. no winning tradition there. So, the hell with that uniform. Well done, Patriots. You're moving up incrementally here. Okay, we got people talking about your last rankings, Chris. Okay. Your linebacker, your linebacker top five rankings. Uh, you had Isaiah Simmons, who is the consensus number one. Patrick Queen, a lot of people have up there as well. Zach Vaughn from Wisconsin. A lot of people like him. So the first comment came from Taylor, Chris, and he said, sellout Sims goes consensus again. Oh, the haters got to you, Chris. <laughs> uh, no, they did not. I can't believe that. He called me a sellout. See, this is why social media will drive you crazy. You know, they really will. Um, you can't win. You, can't, you really can't win either way. It's like either you go with the consensus and people say, oh, wow, you just copied everyone, or you go totally off the board and people call you crazy. Well, I mean, I, I think, you know, as Pete Dimalitalitalitis said, I, I think that Taylor is joking. He's being funny that way. Uh, and he even said after, I believe. So, you know, that, and, and yes. you know, uh, again, I don't do this to be different or get clicks. I want to be right. I'm more into being right. I, I get much more enjoyment out of if you and I are sitting here next year and you going, damn, Chris, you nailed the linebacker position. You were right. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Yes. So uh, Simmons is a weird one because he's a little bit of a projection and because he does everything. But I'm going with the fact that he is a special, special specimen and athlete and yes, you don't get to see him play linebacker play after play, but he's got a lot of great instincts. He's a great open field tackler, sideline to sideline. He's as good as it gets. So maybe different than the traditional type linebacker, 
but he's still my number one. And you know what? The more I've sat there and digested my top five rankings, I feel really good about him. So there was a question about a player who was not in your top five, and I don't sure. think we talked about him in the honorable mentions either. This one comes from Real Tony Evers. Did you get a chance to watch tape on Willie Gay Jr.? Some plays he attacks with explosion. The next one he hesitates and gets swallowed up yes. by blockers. Is he worthy of a day two pick? So Willie Gay Jr. from Mississippi State. What do you think of him? I do think he's worthy of a day two pick, yes. And I think that was a very fair assessment. You know, that's a guy that is a combine freak, right? People are going to go back and watch his film just because they saw the numbers of the combine. They got to go, wait, we got to go look at this kid again. Did we, Maybe we missed him. Maybe a scout missed him. And, hey, certainly the athleticism that he showed at the combine, it shows up on film. I'm not going to say quite to the combine numbers. I don't think he plays at 4-4 speed. He does do some things at times when he shoots gap, shoots gaps, his acceleration, things like that, where you go, wow, that's special. But to my man's point, there's a lot of inconsistencies. First off, he plays small. Like I said, he doesn't play quite to those numbers. He can be inconsistent in tackling. He is not good at getting off blocks or taking blocks, taking on blocks, I should say. He's a little stiff that way. And then even in his open field tackling, I thought he was a little stiff at times as well. When you were in front of him and he had to run you down, he was great. At times he showed some stiffness breaking down in the hole when people were making moves or a cutback move or anything like that. I like the kid. Wouldn't be shocked if a few years from now we're sitting here going, he's going to a Pro Bowl. I, I would not. But I think as it sits right now, yes, there's some learning, some growing for him to do at the position and uh, I just don't think he's quite in the class of some of these other guys. But I think he is worthy of that day two pick. Um, and I think he probably goes somewhere in the third round. Yeah, maybe more of a lottery ticket. It does, it does take some projection with him. Maybe more of a wild card because I have noted in my notes on him was a sub-package player's first couple seasons exactly. with Mississippi State. So you just haven't, haven't seen it here lately. But uh, PFF, Pro Football Focus, graded him out very good in pass coverage. So there's something that he does above average already. So... More projection, and those are the yeah, exactly like you said. Those are the kind of players that you see pop up on day two because yeah. of what they. Yeah, um, he's can like be. a strong safety linebacker hybrid. That's kind of how you got to look at him. And yes, I mean, of course he can run, and he's going to have value in the NFL, especially with everybody trying to look for those guys. So, uh, yeah, you kind of hit it right. And you know, like I said, there's a lot to like about the kid. He's just got to improve on a few things. Over to your uh, defensive tackle rankings. So let's look at your top five there. Uh, and the first comment is, oh, Chris goes consensus again. What a sell. No, they didn't. They didn't talk about that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You're on a roll Although you did, have, yeah, you did have the top two guys uh, near the <laughs> top, right at your one and two, Derek Brown from Auburn, Javon Kinlaw from South Carolina. You said afterwards that this was your, your closest one-two. They basically could have been 1A and 1B there. You like both those guys so much. I, I believe even you said you wouldn't be mad if a team – took either of them in the top five. So our question comes from Nick Balfour. He says, yeah. if, you were the Col if you were the Colts, would you rather have traded their number 13 pick and pay DeForest Buckner or wait and see if Kinlaw or Brown fell to 13? That's an interesting question. Well, I, okay. I mean, if you told me one of the two were going to fall to me at 13, then I would have said yes. Sure, I'll take Kinlaw or Brown. Yes, I'll take them. But that's a big what if, ifs and nuts and candies and buts. I mean, as you know. And Ahmed, 
I just, I, I literally, I, I, I want to say, you know, to, to our man Nick Bellafor, I just would be absolutely shocked if either one of those guys laughed outside the top 10. I think if there's any trades inside the top five, other than Justin Herbert from Oregon, I think these two guys will be the next most sought after commodities. You know, people like this don't come around that often. These guys are game changers. They're can't miss prospects. They're incredibly high ceilings with incredibly high floors too. So there's no bust factor. And I think ultimately, and this is why Chris Ballard is one of the best GMs in the sport. I think he saw that and probably realized, ooh, these guys are really damn good. I'm not so sure they're going to be there at 13. And I don't know if there's another guy to be had worthy of the 13th pick right there along the lines of what I'm talking about as far as giant human beings who are athletic, right? I like my other guys on those rankings. But DeForest Buckner, Kinlaw, you know, Brown, if they walk into a house or the bar or wherever it is, it's the three biggest freaking guys you've ever seen in your life. I mean, they're just special human beings. So I think he just went that route and didn't want to gamble on whether those two college kids were there. And I understand that completely. And we talked about this a little bit last year. That question is the reason why a lot of coaches and GMs wouldn't be mad if they switched the draft with free agency. And so you had the draft first and you you did find out if you're going to get one of those guys or what your needs were, because then you could go plug and play with, with free agency after the fact. No doubt. I think there's a, I think there's a lot of coaches. You know, I, I had an interview with my, my buddy Kyle Shanahan. I know he'd rather do it that way. Me and Florio have asked a number of coaches at the Combine and owners meetings throughout the years, and I think they have the similar feeling too, and you're right. I mean, that's, that's the beauty of what, you know, can be done there. Also, it can drive up the price for the players as free agents too, right? Because now they go, oh, <laughs> you didn't get anybody in the draft. You're kind of That's desperate true. for me, huh? Okay. Yeah. So there are some positives, positives there, but if it ain't broke, don't fix it. The NFL's got a pretty damn good thing going on, and I think we're pretty happy with the formula. All right, that's the reaction. There really weren't that many haters out there. We had to try to manufacture some, but uh, damn, I guess I'll be unscathed. more controversial next time. Shit. Well, you might be with this one. Your offensive line rankings, your last position group here for the 2020 draft. And there was one comment from someone on YouTube that said they need a one sheet of all of your top fives all in one spot that you could hold during the draft. And I think that was a good idea. So you can see which Very teams are, are getting guys that Chris Sims is all about. So we got your top five. We'll go through some honorable mentions here as well with your offensive line. But as a, as a whole with this group, what do you think? Because there were some of these players that threw up incredible times, jumped off the page at the Combine with Becton and Worfs from Iowa. What do you think of this, this group as a whole? Because it seems like every year the, the tackles are some of the surest bets, top 15 guys that, that teams are going to pick early because they know their floor. Well, I think you got three guys to me, and we'll hit on those three guys here in a minute that stand above the rest as far as at the tackle position is concerned. You know, I'll say it for interior offensive linemen. It's not a real deep class as far as super talented guys. A lot of, you know, mid-round, second, third-round type guys. And as you see here in a minute, we're only going to have one interior offensive lineman, really, uh, at least at the, as they played in college, that's going to be in this top five rankings. But, you know, there's some interesting fringe guys here, too, where, yes, we'll discuss this a little bit after the top five, where, 
you know, again, offensive tackle is a premium position. At times it can force teams to overdraft because, hey, yeah, maybe this guy was a second-round grade for us, but, man, the next guy down is, you know, a significantly less grade, and now we just we got to draft him at the end of the first round, this guy. Even though we had a second-round grade on him, damn, it's offensive tackle. There's only so many to be had there that we think can make a difference in year one. So that's what's interesting about the position in general. And, um, yeah, I, I, uh, I think this is one where, you know, we're going to see a little run of these guys, I think, early in the first round, and then maybe a few go off the board uh, later in the first round to go with it. All right, so number five, your number five offensive line prospect in the 2020 draft is? Cesar Ruiz, the center from yeah. Michigan. That, that's who I'm going to lead off with, Ahmed. You know, first off, hey, center for my money is probably the second most important position other than tackle on the offensive line. You know, think about what you got to do. You got to snap a ball with Aaron Donald right over your face, and you got to snap that ball and somehow block that guy at the same time. Are you kidding me? I mean, I used to be underneath center against some defensive tackles going, can he really snap me this ball and block Warren Sapp at the same time? I don't think he's going to be able to do this. So, it takes a special, twitchy, powerful athlete. And Ruiz is that. He's gotten to play against a lot of good defensive tackles in the Big Ten and some bowl games. He's certainly shown capable of, one, being really good at combo blocks, right? And then, like, hey, let's double-team this guy, and then I'll get up to the second level and, and take a linebacker out of the blocking scheme as well. Very good at that stuff. Has the great feet to mirror and pass rush has good power to hang in there against some of the big bodies that he faced that were true nose tackles. So to me, he was the guy that popped to me for the interior offensive line where I said, ooh, I like this kid. I really do. I don't know if he goes in the first round. I think it'll be close. I think he's going to be in that conversation. It depends on how the first round plays out. But I think he's certainly a guy that goes somewhere between 25 and 45 in the draft. And I really liked his game. Smart. You know, he's in a pro-style offense there in Michigan and really saw nothing glaring about him that made me concerned. It really didn't. He could handle speed guys, power guys. He could get out on the edge and pull and do things like that. I'm very impressed with the athleticism and power combination for Ruiz. And, uh, yes, I think he is an end-of-the-first-round type talent at the position. The one red flag that popped up for me is he grew up in New Jersey and not often are good pro players from New Jersey. And so that was the one thing that I, I looked at with him. No, uh, but the yeah, positive yeah, yeah, you're I, funny. <laughs> I really am. Kind of, I'm like, kind of, I'm on a roll today. Uh, the positives <laughs> with him and, and I'm looking all around and I, I love this combination because you look at the tape and you're the original content. I'm kind of like the aggregator. So I'm just looking around at all these different websites and NFL.com had him as quote, athletic and tenacious winning with his quickness and his fast hands. Uh, right. A lot of people like that about him. And here's what I thought. You know, we talk about age every once in a while with some of these guys. Just 20 years old, one of the younger prospects in the draft, played 10 games as a true freshman at Michigan. So uh, to be able to go into college and play right away and excel, and now you can maybe play as a 20-year-old in the NFL, there's still room to grow there for Ruiz. And so I, I think that still what he is right now is good, yeah. and there's still some projection there in the future. Uh, exactly right. I mean, Ahmed, you, you hit it. That's spot on. And that's why we make a good team. But that's exactly why, you know, yes, hey, we all know the draft is about what we see on film. Okay, that's good. 
but it's also about projecting what the guy might be. And when you're 20 years old, you go, oh, the kid's going to get bigger and stronger and faster. And it's really only going to go up that way. But, you know, uh, you know, some of the explanations you talked about there and, and some of the other, you know, people, scouts and things that jumped off to them. Yeah, that's what jumped out to me. And again, with all these freaky defensive tackles we're seeing in the NFL right now, it seems like we're seeing a few come out in the first round of the draft every year. We just talked about two. You better have some special athletes at center. You know, like I said, you know, it's kind of, you're, you're communicating. Hey, Molly, this, you know, let's, let's double to this. Hey, Mike, 54, and he's getting everybody on the same page. And all of a sudden, oh, wait, the quarterback's saying the snap count, and we got to say set hut, and i got to stop him the ball and stop him the ball and then get up and block, block Fletcher Cox and just stop him in his tracks. Like, that takes a special skill talent, you know, and that's why guys like, you know, Rodney Hudson and Alex Mack down in Atlanta and Matt Paradis and some of these other guys are such value commodities. Kelsey in Philadelphia, because they add great flexibility to the offensive line, the scheme itself, and uh, centers who can do special things like that allow offensive coaches to call some some run plays that they might not be able to call if they had a real average center who couldn't move and pull and get to the second level and do those type of things. So Rue is a really good player and from Jersey, which makes him even better. So he's your number five offensive lineman. Number four offensive lineman in your list of your 2020 prospects is? Tristan Wirfs. Okay. Okay. All All right. right. You got that? I know. A little, I know. Yeah, a, a little of, lower than a lot of people fell in love with what he did. You know, another player, just like we talked about Ruiz, you know, was the first true freshman to start under Kirk Ferentz at Iowa. They have a long tradition with, with linemen, so the pedigree seems to be there for Werfs. Yeah, well, it is. And, and again, hey, there's a lot to like about this kid. And I'm flipping through my notes as I filibuster here just to make sure I get to him. But, you know, Okay. I mean, yes, you hit on it. He's got an unbelievable body. I think that's the first thing I would like to talk about. You know, ex-wrestler, really like unbelievable square shoulders, big legs, big butt, everything I like, Ahmed. You know that. But here's my biggest thing. There's no way he can play tackle in the NFL the first year in the league. There's no way. So, That, to me, is one of the big reasons he's not in my top three. You know, he might be able to develop into a tackle. He certainly has those some of the tools. But the play on the field does not match the combine numbers. I'm sorry. And as freaky as those numbers are, and there's still a lot to like, don't get me wrong. But when all is said and done, there is a lack of foot quickness in Tristan Wirfs for him to be a premier tackle, at least at the start of his career. You know, there's just too many games, whether you go back and watch, you know, Michigan or Penn State and a handful of other games where there's too many missed blocks. There's too many times where guys run around them, either on the outside or the inside, or there's some stunting and some moving and he falls to the ground. So to me, there's some spatial issues there. And that's why I think he'll be a better guard, at least at first. You know, just, hey, the guy's in front of me. I got to move him back. You know, that's really just keep it simple to that. But I think if he gets on the edge against some of the special speed pass rushers in the NFL, they're going to run circles around him. So that's what concerns me there. Still a really good player. I don't mean to knock on all the negatives. I'm just telling you why I don't think he's a tackle 
and why I really think he's a guard to start his career for sure. And I'm not totally sold he can ever make that tradition, I mean, transition to tackle. But nonetheless, I think he can be a really good guard for a long time. Could you, could you explain a little bit the, the value there for NFL teams and why it is more valuable? Because you need elite guys up and down the offensive line, but why it is more valuable for most teams to have that elite tackle as, as opposed to if he can only be an elite uh, guard. Yeah, well, you know, you, you get so many different types of athletic specimens that come at you when you're playing the offensive tackle position, right? I mean, I know you're going to get that at guard too, but it's more in the realm of big people, all right? It's more in the realm of, you know, you're a guard. You're going to be facing off against guys that are 285 pounds or bigger like 98% of the time or 98% of the snaps in the NFL. And a lot of it's going to be right there in front of your face. Just get off the ball and see if you can just beat that man mano a mano. When you're a tackle, you know, hey, one, first off, toss sweeps wide receiver screens, running back screens. You need to get out on the edge and be good in space to block linebackers or corners, right? That's one thing you're going to have to do that's a little different and and more of a a consistent thing asked of a tackle. The next thing is, you know, Ahmed, one week you're you're facing a, a great speed rusher like Von Miller, and you go, whoa, you better have some unbelievable foot quickness and be able to shuffle and, you know, bucket step and get back there to block him. And then the next week it's Cameron Jordan, who's 285 pounds, who can still really move and run you over. So now you've got to have great power and the ability to anchor. And that's where the difference is at the position. So that's why the athleticism is so important at the foot, you know, at the footwork level, because you're going to see a variety of different guys at that tackle position. Some fast, some powerful, some more quick than fast. So then now you're going to be able to be able to match their quickness back and forth. And uh, I think that's, those are some of the reasons at least that jump out to me. So do you think teams will fall in love? Are there enough teams out there at the top of the draft board? You think that will have fallen in love with what he has done. He set the record at his position for vertical jump at the combine, tied the record in the broad jump, ran the best 40 time for an offensive lineman, uh, this year, and Pete sent us that uh, shot, that video of him box jumping out of a pool, and he compared yeah, it to amazing. when Jamarcus Russell threw it, threw it 70 yards from his knees when Jamarcus Russell did that, and some teams uh, fell in love with the physical ability. Do you think he's shown right. enough with that that teams will will take him early, even if you have him I as think, your fourth best offensive line prospect? I think that's a very good question. I think he'll most likely get overdrafted a little bit because of those numbers. Yes, I do. You know, because I think there's going to be a few offensive line coaches that are going to go, ooh, you know, that's good clay right there. I think I can mold him into the person I want on film. Maybe we didn't see him on film, but I think I'm a good enough coach to change him. But I will say this, you know, I went into the offensive line position thinking Works was certainly going to be a top 10 pick. Just from what people had told me, of course, the combine workout, when I got done, I came away going, I'm not taking Tristan Wirfs in the top 10. I'm not. To me, he's somewhere between, let's just say, 10 and 25 for my money. I think that's really more of where I see Tristan Wirfs going. Again, it's a projection a little bit. You haven't seen him at guard. He is going to have to go do that. And there's some underwhelming moments on film that certainly would make me just a little queasy to waste a top 10 pick on him. 
So not as high as some people have Tristan Wirfs, but you do have him at number four. You got two Big Ten guys in your your top five so far. The big bruisers. That is not uncommon either. But now it's down to the top three. Your number three prospect in twenty twenty on the offensive line, Andrew Thomas from Georgia. Yeah, I mean Andrew Thomas has got it all. I mean he really does. You know he's got the look first off, just a great body, unbelievable arm length. He does have the foot speed. The ability to mirror pass rushers, you know, has a good anchor. Is he perfect? No. Okay. Are there times where I feel like he plays too high and too many blockers fall off him and make tackles? And I want to go, oh, you're just too big and strong to let that happen. You know, yeah, they're, they're, those are some of my concerns. But see, to me, those are coachable concerns. You can change those things. Pad level with an NFL coach and some of the drills they do. And again, getting out of the college environment where there's the 20 hour rule and all you're doing is football 24 seven. You know, those are things I look at and go, Oh, you can fix that in a football player, you know, foot quickness. Like we were just talking about with Tristan Wirfs. I'm not so sure you can, that's going to take a lot of work to change that. Okay. You know, so with Andrew Thomas, he really has all the, the, the skills, the DNA traits, the, the physical traits to go, oh, this is a franchise left tackle for a long, long time and was in a somewhat of a pro-style offense in Georgia where you get to see him do a lot of pro-style stuff. So, yes, I'm a big fan of Andrew Thomas. You know, he, he can match with the speed pass rushers like we just talked about. And then if power pass rushers come after him, he's got the ability to sink his butt in the ground and stop people in their tracks too, and that's what I like about him. Yeah, there is a lot, to, a lot to like, and I think he is climbing up some draft boards for people out there. Some of the reports that I read on him, gritty, quote, able to get the job done when things break down, really powerful hands, and he has shown the ability to do it from right tackle and left tackle his first year at Georgia. Uh, he played 15 games, started all of them yeah. at right tackle, moved over to left tackle in his sophomore year, second team All-American there. So, he, he has been able to do it from both sides, and so you already have that on tape and know he has shown that, that ability. You know, yeah. it's interesting that you mentioned the, mention the things that he is not doing well right now and can be coached because in a lot of the places that I read about him, they seem to think that at Georgia he was very well coached and did show some good technique. And so you do almost wonder, has he already gotten that coaching? And the things that you're seeing on tape that need to be improved – Maybe he's had had trouble improving. I just find that interesting that in a couple of reports they thought, well, you know, well-coached, good technique. And so it's funny that you pick out a couple of things that you didn't like in, as far as his technique. Well, yes. You know, first off, I'm being picky. And we're talking about top 12 picks. And there's, you know, sure. to, to find the difference between three tackles who are both top 12 picks, you know, you start to get into minute differences about what makes one guy better and what makes guy one guy a little less than. And – you know, Ahmed, I'm not arguing that he was well coached in Georgia. He was. I mean, again, first off, the bar for offensive linemen being coached in college football is very low right now. I mean, when you watch film of offensive linemen, you see a lot of offensive linemen go, they've only run one run play and one pass protection their whole life. They do nothing. You know, it's just like step to the right, it's zone blocking. Step to the left, it's slide pass protection. That's all I've done my whole career. You know, so from the standpoint of, you know, this guy Thomas, like I said, he got to do a lot of pro stuff. And so from that standpoint, you do get to see it. 
All I'm saying, if I just had to read my word, my words verbatim here, right? First off, I'm, I'm glad you said the thing about the hands because we talked about his arm length. He gets his hands on you, it's over. I mean, once he gets to this position, like night-night, he's going to throw you around like a rag doll. And that's what's impressive. But here was just a few things on the negative side, right, where I just wrote, versus the run, he does play high. It compromises his power at times. You know, he's a guy that uh, his guy makes the tackle more than Wills and Becton, which I just said just bothers me a little bit more. And really, the only negative I came away with as I watched the film and really de dive deep, I just said it just annoys me his pad level. Allows too many people to fall off. He's just a little easier to get off of and make a tackle as compared to the other top guys in the draft. That's really all it came down to. And I love his aggressive nature. He wants to pound you into the ground. I love that attitude about him. You better have that to play left tackle in the NFL. He's got great get off at the line of scrimmage, Ahmed. Like when it's a run play and he fires off, I mean, there's some explosion there. You know, and at times he dominates people, especially when his pad level's low. Other times it's a big collision, and then he just kind of sits there with the guy and leans on him. And that's, you know, pad level, continuing your leg drive, but things that I think are very easily corrected in the NFL. Top three linemen is Andrew Thomas out of Georgia for Chris. Okay, so now you're down to your, your top two. You mentioned a couple names there, so I think I know where you're going with this, but... I don't know who uh, number one's going to be. So who gets the silver medal? Who is the second best offensive line prospect in your eyes this year? This was tough. Okay. This really was. I mean, this is, I could almost say this is almost a 1A, 1B type of thing for me okay. again. Uh, but I'm going to say Makai Becton gets my silver medal, you know, and, and man, you know, holy cow, a specimen first off. I mean, a true specimen. To see a human being that big move the way he moves and as strong as he is, you know, as compared to the other offensive linemen at times, Ahmed, you know, he can miss a block where he just gets the edge of a guy and the guy still falls down and it's a pancake. And you're like, whoa, yeah. he got like his three fingers on the guy and the guy fell down. Like, it's unbelievable. Now... You know, from that standpoint, the length, his feet are off the charts good. I mean, it's really impressive how he moves that way. You know, everything is positive there. You know, it's an underwhelming, not necessarily offensive tackle friendly offense he ran at Louisville. And a little simple at times to where I want to go, man, I wish I could have seen him do some more NFL type of stuff. But there's just no denying the physical dominance and the freakness of this player, Ahmed. There's not. You know, there really isn't. If I had to say there's one thing, you know, okay, here's two little things to be picky on again. And I'm, I'm telling you, I love this kid. He's a top 10 pick. He's, I'm not going to be mad if he went number four to the New York Giants. I get it. He's worthy of that, in my opinion. But, all right, one thing, maybe adjusting to blockers on the fly, right? Oh, he thinks the blocker is going to be on his outside edge and then set hut. And all of a sudden the blocker shoots inside to a gap. Is he the best to a adjusting on the fly? Maybe not the best. Okay. But I didn't go away going, oh man, he misses way too many blocks doing that. Well, I'm just, again, we're being picky here because we're talking about top 10 picks. 
And then, again, I don't know this, but his size would scare me a little bit. It would. I mean, one bad offseason, and he could be 400 pounds, and then there it goes. So, you know, that's a little bit of a scary thing to me, too. And that's where, as long as Makai Becton, the person, checks out to where these coaches go, oh, this kid loves football, he's going to work hard, he's not going to let his body slip. You know, it scares me that I hear he was 394 pounds before the year started. That's scary to me because, you know, that just shows you it, it can easily happen. But, you know, from the film itself, it is special. And he is a franchise left tackle. Whether you want to call him Jason Peters or Orlando Pace uh, or Jonathan Ogden or Trent Brown. I mean, he is that type of guy, Ahmed. Yeah, there was one uh, report that the athletic comp for him was Shaquille O'Neal, <laughs> not even a, a football player, just 6'7", 364 is what he measured in. And then that 5'1", that 40-yard dash was the heaviest player to run a 40 under 5'2 uh, since 2006. A lot of the things that you mentioned there, one of the questions that, that popped up a couple of times was the fact that Louisville was basic at time, a running team with just play-action passing, not a whole lot of that you know straight straight drop back passing pass protection yes. that you're going to see in, in the NFL. But you're yes. right, the Mauler Mauler in the run game. Uh, that was a direct quote from one of the articles that I read. Has switched between right tackle and left tackle often at, at Louisville, and uh, a, a low floor. You, you talk about the high ceiling, low ceiling guys. This it seems to have a a low floor because he is uh, athletic enough to do that outside zone blocking stuff, but he's just such a beast inside. You figure he's going to be good in the running game. So you figure he's not going to be a total bust at anything, unless, like you mentioned, no. he gets up to 400 pounds. Yeah, no, I mean, I just can't imagine him being a bust. I can't, and that's what I mean. I mean, as long as he's, you know, checks out as a person, I, I don't see how that could be. There's just too many positives, Ahmed, and, you know, I'm glad, you know, you re you said some of those things about, you know, the, the Louisville offense and, and that, because it just, you know, again, you know me, I just watch the film. I don't sit there and like read what everybody's saying. And I'm, I'm not sitting there dissecting Louisville's offense, but I'm dissecting what they're asking him to do. And it's very basic. And some of those points, you know, that I made about him missing a block here and there at times, Hey, really at times, I think it was a little bit of the predictability of the offense itself to where, it, it, you know, the defense end almost knew what the play was coming. He was like, I've seen this run play nine times already in the first half, and I know it's coming again. Makai Becton, you're going to come out here and try to drive me into the ground, and I'm going to let you come out here this time, but I'm going to, like, give you the old okey-doke and fly inside and then try to make the tackle that way to where – Again, I didn't look at it as totally a negative. I wasn't like, oh, Makai Becton can't block in space or do that. No, I saw plenty of him blocking in space. I mean, it was phenomenal to see a guy like that. And just a little, again, verbatim, you know, again, what I wrote, I, you know, I mean, when he gets his hands on you, I wrote, you're fucked. It's over. Okay, sorry for the bad language, but that's what I wrote. You know, he can push people and get a pancake block. Then... I wrote, ability to adjust on the fly is really impressive for his size. I wrote, he will fall off blocks from time to time, but it's really just about him being too aggressive and wanting to smush people. If he can just control that, 
he would really almost never fall off blocks. But devastating power can truly dominate uh, people. I wrote the offense's BS and doesn't suit him. Um, and I, as I told you, if the person checks out, then he yeah. has everything. Wow. Because he is an unbelievable player that you just don't see come around the NFL a whole lot. Yep, and you've mentioned that a couple times if the person checks out, and that is true for really any prospect in the in the draft. Uh, but he did and one last get thing. flagged. One last he did thing. get flagged for that drug test. Oh, yes, test. okay, go uh, ahead. Let's hit on that. Let's hit on that. He He's addressed that with teams here. A lot of people talking from Louisville, the AD there, say there's no there's no history with him, and so they're trying to explain that away. For, but it was a flag drug test at the Combine for Mekhi Becton. Yeah, well – you know, again, I, I think we're in a new age, you know, oddly enough, it's 420, right? And, yeah. <laughs> um, but we're, we're, we're in an age where I don't think teams are, as long as, you know, he didn't test positive for, you know, I think if it's cocaine or heroin or something crazy like that, that's going to be an issue. All right. But I don't think most teams are going to look at it and go, oh man, a college kid smoked pot damn, we got to drop him off the, the first round, you know, grade. That, you know, I don't think that's going to be the issue. And, you know, as far as being it, – it's been flagged, right? It wasn't a diluted sample or anything like that. It was a true flag Yeah, There aren't a whole lot of details on it, but all we know is it was flagged, flag drug test. Okay, all right. And, you know, again, that'll go into area scouts, what they know about the player – What's the rumors and talk about him specifically on campus at Louisville? And then, of course, his Zoom FaceTime meetings like you and me do every week are going to be important for him. But, you know, truly, truly impressive. And, and, you know, I'll just say this. One of the last things I wrote, I wrote, when he learns how to punch and strike first, right, because he's such a big human being that – He's never he he moves his feet and mirrors, and then when people try to power rush him, he doesn't care. He just sits there and goes, "Go ahead, hit me. You're not going to move me." And he kind of just absorbs the hit and stops it. When he learns Ahmed to just be boom, boom, and stop people in their tracks before they even start their power move, watch out because he'll be basically unstoppable at that point. And I wrote really all his negatives to me were the system and coaching, not the player. And uh, he is a definite top 10 pick. So you really like Mekhi Becton. A lot of people do, but we talked about him there for probably about eight minutes. So that must mean you really, really, really like the guy that you have just ahead of him, although you said they're really close in your, your rankings here. Uh, Jedrick Wills from Alabama, number one for you, Chris. Yeah, Jedrick Wills. You know, you, you, just, you get to see him do everything against high-level competition, and he does it at such a high level that he's just, that's what made me feel a little bit more comfortable about me ranking him ahead of Makai Becton. That's really all it was. You know, player for player, you know, if I had to sit here and grade him, damn, it's real close. I mean, it would have been minute difference. But I think it is the fact that, you know, you get to see a guy like Wills in a pro-style offense do a lot of different stuff. And I don't want to say it's a pro-style offense because it's not. But you get to see some pro running schemes. You get to see him do a lot of the wide receiver, running back schemes. You know, again, college football, it's amazing. Even a team like Alabama, when you watch a game, how many times a quarterback actually drops back in a true drop back pass? That, that's what's amazing to me more than anything, Ahmed. But Wills, just to hit on it here, my pro player comparison would be 
Lane Johnson of the Philadelphia Eagles. That's to me who he is. You know, that's he's I, he could be the best right tackle in all of football. Will's high cut, great body, long arms, unbelievable feet. He will be awesome in pass protection or any run scheme throughout the NFL. And you got to see him do it against SEC defense alignment on a weekly basis. He can dominate you physically. And even when he knows he's not in a position to dominate you, he's still got a great ability to go, oh, I know how to shield my guy off and at least not let him make the tackle. You know, he's just got great instincts that way. He really knows how to play the game. And athletically, he's just special, Ahmed. Yeah, he has been special for a while in high school. He was a five-star prospect, top 50 recruit. And so people have been high on Wills for his entire football career here. Some of the scouting reports that I read, uh, amazingly athletic, moves smoothly for a tackle prospect. Uh, Pro Football Focus thinks he could be a good tight end at his current weight of 312 pounds. I think he moves <laughs> moves that well, uh, along yeah. with being a dominant a dominant run blocker. Played 11 games as a freshman at Alabama, became a staple there. And like you mentioned, in the SEC, there's that tape of him doing it against really good competition. There really aren't that many negative reports on there. Like like you mentioned, you're you're splitting hairs if you try to find something negative with Wills, but I couldn't find a whole bunch. They just think he's got that basketball agility with the power of an offensive lineman in the NFL. That's exactly right. And then the arm length of a great right tackle or left tackle, yeah. I think he could be able to play either position if he had to when said and done, right? Like I look at the New York Giants, you got Nate Solder at left tackle. You're going to keep him there for now. You know, if you drafted a guy like Wills with pick number four, hey, now you got a great right tackle, and eventually he could be your franchise left tackle if you need to move him over there. But uh, either way, yeah, I mean, there's, there's really nothing to talk about here with this guy negatively. You know, all right, just to say, just to, to hit on some negatives, because I've hit on negatives on everybody, right? I wrote, at times, we'll stop his feet upon contact, right, where, you know, he'll just lean on a guy and maybe not finish the job. Um, but that was being very picky, uh, other than that, I mean, I wrote run blocking. It's, it's off the charts good. I really got no questions at all there. Versus the pass, great hands and arm use to stop pass rushers. Has great eyes, Ahmed, to like see stunts and blitzes coming. So he's, he's really ahead of the game in a lot of ways where, you know, he's passing it off with a guard and then getting ready for a looping tackle to come around and pass rush. He was always all over it and ready for it to come when it did happen. So, you know, he's he's been taught well, let alone he's got the size. And then, like you mentioned, all these special physical abilities. And that's why I think he's a can't-miss top 10 prospect. So there's your top five. Let's go through real quick a couple of the guys who missed off, uh, on your top five or maybe some other names that are out there that, that you saw some tape on and have comments on. Do you have any offhand here, Chris? Well, yes, definitely. I mean, hey, Josh Jones, the kid from Houston, right? The yep. the left tackle there. I mean, he's a phenomenal athlete for 323 pounds or whatever he is. Again, it's a little bit of a projection watch because it's such a college offense and he doesn't always get to go against, you know, top talent and things like that. But nonetheless, you know, He's a guy that, you know, if he went at the end of the first round, Ahmed, I, I wouldn't be shocked. I could see that happening. He's that type of a talent. I don't think there's any way he lasts past 45, but he would be one guy that jumps off to me right off the bat. 
Yeah, I saw a couple of people note him with, with great hands, even a couple saying that he could have the best hands of, of any offensive lineman in the draft. And while, yeah, Houston, the offense, the competition is a question mark for him. He was impressive in one-on-one drills at the Senior Bowl. So that at least gives some teams at least a little glimmer of hope that, okay, he can do this against against elite competition. So he did jump out at teams. He did. I mean, and, you know, you get to see him pull a lot, get out in space. He's got some nastiness to him. You know, the thing that jumped out to me is just for a guy that's 323, the way he could move, I was shocked when I saw 323. Because at first, you know, I watch film, and then I start to look at their profile and go, oh, damn, he's 323 pounds? Damn, he moves like he's 295, 300 pounds, and he does know how to use his hands in the pass rush. So, you know, again, yeah, he missed my top five here. Uh, and, and it was tough because he was very close, but he's, he's a talented football player. What about Austin Jackson, the, the kid from USC, the guy for young man from USC? He seems to be predominantly placed on some, some evaluators top five. What'd you think of him? Well, has everything to be the franchise left tackle. He does. I don't know how you could pick him in the first round right now with the film from last year. I just, I don't know how you could do that. You know, it would be a total projection. And listen, it's, it's come to my understanding that, you know, Jackson, he had a tough preseason. I think he had some family issues he had to deal with. Well, no, so, if I remember so, yeah, correctly, so, he donated so his, bone his, marrow, right? Exactly. His younger sister has a, a genetic blood disorder. And so he made the decision before this last year in the off season to donate bone marrow. And so they, they do that through three spots in your back. Um, it's a procedure that he was told could possibly decrease strength, and it did for him. He told reporters just uh, a few weeks ago that he could not squat with any weight on his back until the fourth game of the season. Um, so certainly, I mean, that that at least had something to do with the beginning of his season. And if you believe that, you know, it's tough to get up to full speed in the middle of a season, it could have affected his whole junior year at USC. Yeah, and, you know, and again, this is where, hey, I'm not at the privy to be able to you know, know all these things and know these guys and really get the deep dive scoop about their You're personal just going life. Off the tape, and what, what you saw on the tape, I'm which just, is what teams have exactly. to do. Exactly. That's, that, that's what I'm doing, you know. And now the teams are going to have some research on the person, right? Because if you have a, you have a West Coast scout for every organization – who's hanging around USC and UCLA and all the California schools and Arizona schools. And he's got connections with people at all those schools. I can guarantee you that to where, you know, if you know the right people and they make you feel comfortable about, Hey, this kid is not what you saw on film. He just had some issues. Then yeah, I can see a team saying, okay, we'll take him in the first round. Like I said, physically there's nothing there not to like other than, like, at times, you just go, man, he's got great feet, but on this play, he didn't use his feet, and he let the guy just run around him. And then, damn, he shows a great play run blocking, and then the next play, you go, damn, he let the guy dominate him, and he got pushed back or missed the block or whatever it may be. So just so inconsistent that way, right? It really is. It was tough. It's like a lot of question marks on my film because 6'5", 322, 34 and one eighth inch arms, and the way he moves and the way he looks, everything says franchise left tackle. 
And it's just underwhelming. That's all I can say. And I hope it is, you know, just a tough year of dealing with off-the-field issues, and he can be a franchise left tackle. I saw him in person at Notre Dame this year when USC came there. He certainly looks like a franchise left tackle, but the play does not merit that, at least from the 2019 film. Uh, One more name that I know you like, and he played at Louisiana Lafayette. And so another question with the competition that he faced, but at least on tape from what you saw, you liked Robert Hunt. I really did like Robert Hunt. You know, I, again, I think this is a guy that I, I don't think there's any way he stays on the board past the first 45 picks because he's got some franchise tackle traits again. You know, again, you know, I'm just amazed at the size and length of some of these guys, but really good football player, can do it all, has the aggression you like. You know, uh, pass protection, his feet are great. Um, the big thing is, is like you said, it's like, okay, he played Mississippi State last year. You know, this is really the only team I can look at and go, all right, let me see what he's got against some guys that will maybe be in the NFL at one point in their career. You know, how good they're going to be, I don't know, but at least they're NFL caliber players, and he certainly could hold his own. So, you know, again, it's a guy that I think has had a few injury issues here and there. The competition is certainly a little bit of a question mark, but – I don't see anything not to like about the kid. I mean, the body, the athleticism, the aggression, the length, you know, again, the ability to move in space, I think are all very good. Brings violence and strength was one thing I read about him four years starter at Louisiana Lafayette. And he played guard and tackle in college. So he played around uh, uh, the offensive line. So he's got some some versatility there. Versatility, yeah. You did it. You got through every position in the 2020 draft. I'm going to give you a standing ovation. Can I stand up here? Oh, no, I can't. Oh, baby, thank you, thank you. Oh, (laughs) you're still wearing your blue khaki pants that are uh, your khaki slash workout pants. I don't know what the hell you call those things. They're Lululemon Lululemon, uh, pants. I wear them every day, basically, that we do the podcast. Okay, good, good. I'm down to one pair of pants. Uh, No, very, very good. So, well done. but I want to because um, there are some players that I know for you, you liked a whole bunch, not good enough to put in your top five, but you think they're not being talked about enough by people out there and who actually may go in the, in the end of the first round because of, of what you've been seeing on tape and what you've been hearing from some of the teams out there. So kind of in a speed round fashion, Chris, I know you've got your cool. notes there and so I'm really, I'm really going to tax you here with, uh, with these names I'm going to throw at you, but these are names we've gone over before that I know that you like, you think deserve more love out there. So these are these are your Robin Hood 2020 NFL draft prospects because we love the animation. Good job, Kristen. And the music, too. Is that Robin Hood's music? No, I the- don't think so. But you wouldn't know because you've never seen the movie. So I've I can't. Never seen I don't, I'm, not, I'm not telling. But and I will be I watching Godfather here very soon, too, by the way. Okay, okay, yep. Yeah, I won't hold my breath on that. We'll see about that. But, <laughs> you know, Robin Hood's one of those things I started a, a while back because, like, sometimes during the draft process, we, we talk about the same 10 names over and over. I, I turn on sure. different TV stations and everything, and it's, oh, great. Oh, we're going to break down, you know, Chase Young again today? Oh, great. I haven't seen enough Chase Young breakdowns. Let's do some more. You know, so – I want to give some of these guys love. And, you know, Robin from Loxley, he took from the rich and gave to the poor. And that's what Chris from Franklin Lakes will do as well. (laughs) 
All right, so give me uh, just a couple of the headlines of why you like these guys who have not been getting maybe as much love out there. We'll start with a wide receiver position, and we'll start with a Notre Dame guy, a guy you saw a lot on the field in South Bend who did open some eyes at the Combine with what he was able to do with his 40-inch vertical and, and his fast 40-yard uh, dash time. Uh, Chase Claypool. Yeah, I mean, I'm, just, I'm a huge fan of Chase Claypool. You know, I really think he's a first-round talent. Now, people are going to sit there and go, oh, well, it's only one year of production. You know, it's a little raw. There's some things about his game, you know, that he needs to improve. Okay, yeah, I get that. But 237, 4-4 flat, that type of explosiveness, he's tough as hell on the football field. You know, all you got to do is watch special teams tape, and you'll watch him and go, man, he's the best tackler on Notre Dame in special teams. But, you know, straight speed to beat you deep. I know he's got the ability to become a good route runner. He is a good route runner. You know, he really is. There's nothing he can't do on the football field. 50-50 contested balls. You know, to me, this is a guy that's just being overanalyzed by the experts way too much. Way too much. It's going to be like the DK Metcalf story all over again. You watch with Chase Claypool. He's going to go out and everybody's going to go, whoa, how did everybody miss out on this guy? He's having a great rookie year. Because we... We started dissecting whether he could go down and do something like, you know, we just went way down a worm tunnel on the player that, that's not necessary. To me, he's Brandon Marshall, Vincent Jackson, right? You remember him? He's that type of guy, but faster than both of them. And I really think he's got the potential to be a star. I mean, I'm, I would be shocked if he lasts on the board. I, you know, I, I'm sure it sounds like he's going to go the second round. But like I said, I think he's a first-round talent. I think he's talented enough to be in that top five wide receiver conversation. Chase Claypool out of high school is tough to get on some people's radar. Grew up in uh, British Columbia, Notre Dame, found him. Uh, Van Jefferson out of Florida, he was on people's radar because uh, his dad, Sean Jefferson, played 13 years in the NFL, now an assistant coach with the Jets. Van Jefferson, wide receiver of Florida, should be getting more love? Yes. Uh, you know, you know we, we talk like right now, we talk about route runners in the draft, right? Justin Jefferson, we hear him. Jerry Judy, the ultimate route runner, right, in most people's eyes. Van Jefferson, I would say, is a better route runner than all of them. He is. This is the best route runner in all of college football last year. You know, he's, he's really got a chance in an offense that I don't think really knew how to utilize and feature a guy with that type of talent. You know, but I know I just talked to C.J. Henderson, who's my number one corner in the draft, and I talked about – I asked him, who was one of the toughest covers you had in college football? And he said, my teammate, Van Jefferson. I get it. He's been taught by his father, and he has got it. I mean, let alone he's got the physical ability to go with the techniques he has in his route running. But to me, this is a guy that, you know, might not go to the third round. Maybe he goes late second round, something like that. But don't be shocked if he gets in the right offense that values route running where, you know, first year, second year in the NFL, he's putting up 80, 90, 100 type receptions. I think he's one of those guys that could really sneak up on us. You know, like a Cooper Cup out with the Rams, right? That's yeah. to me like this type of player this kid is. Yeah, maybe more of a finished product than uh, the rest of the guys out there who have some projections still. He's going to be 24 sure. years old his first year in the league, but that's valuable. Even if you're a, a number three or number four receiver on a team, that that certainly gives value to some guys out there. A uh, tight end position. Oh, I get it. You're just picking a bunch of Notre Dame guys. Cole Komet. You like Cole Komet. Well, I, 
can somebody talk about Cole Komet? Somebody? Sure. I mean, I think he is. I, mean, I think he is consensus number one tight end. But I think a lot of people think that the tight end position is not very, very good this year in the draft. Well, yeah. I mean, true and true. Like you're right. It's it's not a deep tight end class. But Cole Komet's going to get drafted in the first round. He, I have no bones about. I mean, I will be shocked if he doesn't get drafted in the first round. I really will be. I'll be shocked, Ahmed. You know, so that's why it bothers me. I mean, yeah, okay, he's the number one tight end. We know that. And it's not a great year. And I feel like just because of that, we're not going to talk about it. But, I mean, to be as big as he is and 260 pounds and 6'5", and be able to run the way he runs, and he hasn't really played spring football because he did baseball, and he's a phenomenal blocker and a phenomenal pass catcher, and he can beat people one-on-one, like – There is no doubt he is a first-round talent. And like I said, I will be shocked if he doesn't go somewhere between 20 20 and 32 in the first round. I really would be. I mean, he's as talented as, you know, some of the tight ends we've seen come out the last years. I'm not going to say he's Noah Fant or TJ Hawkinson, right, as athletic as they were last year coming out in the draft. No, he's a little bit of a different mold. This is a guy that's a little bit bigger, right? I mean, he's more really along the Gronk mold of that type of guy. And I'm not saying he's Gronk, but he's that type of size, that type of run blocker. And then he's going to be a mismatch in the pass game, Ahmed. He's going to be one of those guys where if he gets in the right offense, they're going to be able to split him out and go, oh, there's a linebacker on him? They can't run with him. And then you're going to look out and go, oh, they put a DB on him. And you're going to go, well, he's too small. So we're still going to throw to him because we think he'll just box him out and do it. So – I, I um, just, I'm just annoyed that he hasn't got more talk. That's all I'm saying. I, he is a for sure first round pick in my opinion. I really will be shocked if that doesn't happen. And I just want to give him some love. What if peeped him a little, little lightest just text us there. So, so he just gave you a way to make some money because if you say he is a, a surefire first round prospect, Pete just texted us saying that Komet has odds of seven to one on some gambling sites to go in the first round. So if you put a hundred bucks on Cole Komet to go in the first round, you're walking away with seven hundred bucks. Ooh, I, I, I like that. If you don't you do know, it, I might do it. Well, I sit here and look at some of these teams and just go, Hey, would the would the Patriots at twenty three, would they think about Cole Komet? You know, I don't know. I don't think that's totally yeah. crazy. He would fit their mold. You know, even the even the Saints at 24, no, they're good. They got Jared Cook, so they don't have to worry about it. You know, I wouldn't, you know, the Dolphins, the Seahawks at 27 can be in that conversation. So, I mean, there's a few teams here that I look at and go, hey, I, I could certainly see them picking Cole Komet at some point in this first round. All right, so maybe they want a tight end. Maybe they like Cole Komet. Maybe they don't get Cole Komet. And then you got to look for that talent elsewhere. And you think over at UCLA, the tight end, Devin Asiasi, has that talent. Redshirt junior coming out, declaring eligible, 6'3", 257 pounds, ran a 4'7", and, and plays faster than that. You know, this is another guy, you know, I, I don't know. And maybe there's some off-the-field things uh, that I don't know about or whatever. I just don't hear buzz about it. But I know the film, like, pops, Ahmed. I mean, it really does. This is a guy that I, I – he's not as good a blocker as Cole Komet, but it's not that far off. And he's probably more explosive – or he is more explosive with the ball in his hand than Cole Komet. 
mean, this is like a special, special football player. He really is. And I just don't understand that. You know, again, like I said with Colcomet, I have no qualms. This guy is a first round talent. There's no yeah, doubt man. about it. Can do he everything. Didn't show it. Yeah, he didn't show it until he had just eight career catches heading into 2019. He started his career at Michigan, transferred away from Jim Harbaugh to be closer to home in California. So that initially that's why I thought you liked him because he transferred away from Jim at, it's at always Michigan a smart there. move to get away from Jim. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think, you know, he's he, you got to project, right? He's done it for one year uh, at UCLA, but the tape is the tape, and you like what you see. I do like what I see. And, then, you know, ultimately, I think some of those things that you said, you know, will probably not make him a first-round pick. But, again, super talented. And just don't be shocked if we're, you know, sitting here a year or two from now going, you know, and how do you say his last name? Asiasi. Asiasi. Don't be yeah. shocked if we're sitting here two or three years from now with Asiasi being in the conversation for the best tight end in football. I think he's got that type of talent. We'll go Asiasi. Oh, Chris, I see, I see what you were saying earlier there. Thank see you what much. I mean? That's I, I got confused there. Yeah, yes, I did. <laughs> uh, three edge guys that you like. Let's go through these guys. You like uh, Bradley Anai, spelled A-N-A-E, from Utah. Yep. He was buried on the Utah depth chart as a freshman and then led the team in tackles for a loss in his senior season. So he came on strong, good career at Utah. Yeah, I mean, um, good football player. Outside linebacker slash defense end kind of guy, right? But has undeniable pass rush skills. You know, again, he's not going to go in the first round. So I'm not trying to sit here and say that. He's just not that type of a physical specimen. There's also some you know, wanting more a little bit in the run game and the physicality department, okay, maybe for me and my money. But the pass rushing ability is undeniable. I mean, one, he's just a very fluid, loose athlete, can really bend and dip and rip around the corner. He's got good, nice hand usage, you know, so he can win with hands and swatting and swim moves and all that. Then also I'm big into, okay, you won with speed, you know, I see a little bit of, like, power and some good technique with the hands. Now, can you go speed to power? And, yes, he can. I mean, he can try to beat you with speed. And if he realizes he doesn't get the edge, he puts that inside arm up and gets it underneath, tackles, you know, chin into their chest and stuff, and makes a lot of plays. So, you know, he would be one of those guys where, you know, um, like, he could be a Matt Judon or a or a or a, a Smith who is a Darius Smith who went up to to Baltimore, you know, comes in edge guy and contributes to a team, and all of a sudden we look up and go, damn, this guy's got eight, ten, eleven sacks every year of his career. It would not shock me. He's that type of talent. Improving throughout his career at Utah, you can almost say the same thing about uh, Jabari Zuniga at Florida, another edge guy. You know, he played basketball growing up, played just one year of high school football before going to Florida. His body already looks like an NFL player, according to a lot of scouts and evaluators out there. Was able to do it all across the defensive line for Florida in the SEC. So a lot to like from Zuniga, and you like him too. I do too. I mean, he was played out of position. You know, that's the biggest issue. He, you know, he, he played defensive tackle at 260 pounds because they were trying to get their best 11 guys on the field. So... Again, it's a little bit of a projection, and he was put in a spot that really wasn't built for him. But 
you know, it says something to be 260 pounds and play defense at tackle in the SEC. That tells you you must be pretty damn strong for 262 pounds. Plus, when he got on the edge, yes, I just saw special get off, special explosion around the edge, you know, and let alone the play strength that we talk about to, yeah, again, to mean to where this guy, he's not going to go in the first round. I'm not trying to say that. I think he goes somewhere maybe in the mid-second, late second, maybe early third, somewhere in that range. But, you know, don't be shocked if he's starting for your team next year and, you know, has a significant role on the edge of a defense as a defense end. Or, uh, yeah, I think ultimately he's a true defense end. And he could be a rush end, like on the weak side of of an offensive line, right, away from the tight end. But because he played defensive tackle, he's got the power to play the strong side, too, which we call a crash end. You know, he'll have no problem being able to take a tight end and a tackle on and a double team and do things like that. He did that in college, so he'll be right at home. But, yeah, he was one of my favorite players in the draft. A value guy to watch that you could pick up maybe on on day two or who knows, even day three. A similar guy for you, Chris, is Daryl Taylor, another edge guy from Tennessee. Redshirt senior, a great athlete. He's got short area <clears throat> quickness here. Power edge defender. He was Tennessee's biggest threat to get into the backfield uh, from the linebacker position. So it seems to have some quickness. You like a Taylor from Tennessee. I do. I mean, the words you just used are the right ones. Power edge defender. That's what he is. He's built like a brick shit house. okay? His body is like perfection. It really is. And it's not going to wow you with like, oh, speed and sexiness and explosion around the corner. Again, you know, to me, this is a guy that's got like Baltimore Ravens written all over him. You know, it's like, you know, they took this guy, Jalen Ferguson, last year out of Louisiana Tech, who was like a 270-pound defense end, and they made him an outside linebacker this year. You know, and I think that's like this kind of guy. Again, he can play defense end, 3-4 outside linebacker, tremendous play strength. Yes, it's not like the speed, sexy type guy, but he was one of my favorite watches in the draft and his ability to throw people off him and do all that. Plus, he is a natural pass rusher as far as, you know, bend, ability to use his hands. He's very natural at it. He's not a guy, like I said, that's going to fly around the edge like Von Miller, but still, you know, a guy that's going to be starting on someone's defense next year on the edge in some capacity. Over at linebacker, you gave some love to Malik Harrison when we were talking about your honorable mentions out of Ohio State here. Uh, His positives, big athlete, great combo of size and physicality. You want to give him a little bit more love in your Robin Hood section. Yeah, because like the thumper linebackers don't get any love anymore. Like the true old school, oh, you want to run downhill on me? I'll meet you in the hole and we'll see how it goes right there. Like that's Malik Harrison. You know, right around 250 pounds, big, rangy body. You know, a lot like a K.J. Wright up at, at, up at Seattle who's had an unbelievable career. You know, that's the type of player this kid can be. You know, he'll never come off the field, all three downs. You know, is he going to be perfect in pass coverage? No, you can't have it all. But he's going to be unbelievable sideline to sideline and between the tackles for the traditional linebacking stuff. So, those type of teams, again, I'll say a Baltimore, maybe a New England, they're going to love this guy because they can play a 3-4, and if a guard flies up on them, they're not going to be, like, physically overwhelmed. They're big enough to stand in there, hit them, move them around, get off the block, whatever it may be. 
more of a power-based middle linebacker. But there's still a place for that in the NFL. And this is that's why I like Malik Harrison. And, of course, he got to play a lot of that in the Big Ten with Jonathan Taylor and some of those teams he played. One more offensive player, one more defensive player here in your Robin Hoods, the 2020 draft. We'll, see, we'll do the running back. Anthony McFarland out of Maryland. You talked about him in our honorable mentions when we did running backs. He's 5'8", 208 pounds, played at Maryland, ran the 40 in 4.44 seconds. He is that small kind of change of pace back, but maybe you think he can be even more than that. Well, I think he could be like a Tariq Cohn, right? That kind of guy that we've seen in the NFL. Darren Sproles, but probably with better long speed. You know, to me, yes, again, you don't get to see him get the ball a lot every game, but there is special special attributes. And when you can make people miss and run 80 yards away from a lot of NFL people in the Big Ten, it opens up my eyes to go, okay. There was a lot of NFL people chasing you, and you ran away from them. So he would be one of those guys. That's gonna, he's going to be a mid-round pick, but, you know, a, just another jitterbug with a rocket up his butt who could be a big play type of football guy for an offense. And, yeah, I like his game. I, you know, I'd say watch out for him. He's going to have a role as a third down back right away and going to make plays for somebody as a rookie. So he's 5'8", and the guy over on defense who you like is 5'8", as well. Cornerback for Auburn, Javaris Davis, uh, cousin of Vernon Davis and Vontae Davis. You liked his tape. Well, I do. You know, I mean, again, you know, I'm a little bit of a sucker for speed. You know, I, I can't deny that. This is not a real big guy, Javaris Davis, but man, he can fly. I mean, fly. Straight ahead, as long as it's straight ahead, he's going to be able to run with anybody in football. Is there a little tightness in his hips? You know, a little bit of some extra steps when he's coming out of the break and trying to break on a ball, Ahmed. Yes, that's why, you know, he's not in the first round conversation and probably won't be in the second round. Probably ultimately going to be like a third round type pick, that guy. But, you know, I think he's the type of guy where, you know, I, I compared him to Avanti Maddox of the Philadelphia Eagles who was just like him coming out. I think Avante Maddox ran like a 4-2-7 maybe coming out in the draft, something like that. Maybe it was 4-2-9 or 4-3-0. But I think that's what this kid can be. You match him up with Deshaun Jackson or Hollywood Brown. He's going to be able to run down the field with them and not be like, oh, my gosh, I got to run so hard because I can't keep up with this guy. No, this is an elite-level acceleration and explosion, let alone – He'll throw his body around and tackle, too. So those are the things I like about him. And I just think he's one of those mid-round draft picks that's going to pop up sometime next year for some football team. And we're going to go, damn, who is this? Jata uh, you know, uh, Jata uh, what the hell's Javaris his name? Davis. Javaris Davis. Javaris <laughs> Davis. Who is this guy, Jatavis? You know, like, I go, yeah, he's been so under the radar. Even the guys who like him. Don't know. Damn. My, my, my fault there, Javaris. I just, I got Jatavis, Jatavis Brown in my head there for a second, but yeah, there's a lot to like about his film and damn that Auburn team and secondary. They're just impressive altogether. Uh, so those are the guys that you like that weren't getting enough love. So good. We gave them a little bit more, more love out there. So those are the Robin hoods. We did the offensive line, Chris, you got to take a break for a, a day and then you're Thank back you. on Wednesday. You're back on Wednesday with Paul. You got your mock draft. I forget now. How do you do your mock draft? Do you do it how you would do it if you were the GM of each team, or do you do it how you think they will do it? 
No, I mean, you know, first off, I, 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 I can't do what they, what I think they're going to do. Like, I'm just, <laughs> I don't like that crap. Okay. I don't yeah. like how so many people change their mock drafts and everything like that. That to me is like, are you evaluating or are you just going on what people say to you? You know, and I don't like that. I think that's kind of cheating. I'm going to make the picks as if I were the GM for each 32 teams or, you know, I know there's not all 32 are picking in the first round, but as I'm the GM of that team in the first round and try to go from there, that's how I'm going to play my mock draft. None of this like, oh, this is what I'm hearing. So I'm going to put this guy here. No, no, I'm going to go true to my evaluations and of what I think of players and the teams combined. Are you done with it or do you still have to do it? Do you have it on paper? No, I, I only have like a few picks done so far. It's something I'm going to go dabble in here, right here in a little bit. And then I'm going to spend most of tomorrow kind of trying to finger that. It, it's annoying. This is a stressful exercise, right? It really is. Uh, but either way, when you're done, it's like, woo, I'm done. I'm done with the draft and you can have some fun with it. Well, I'm looking forward to it. All your hard work is appreciated, Chris. Uh, well done once again. That was, that was fun. And uh, yeah, One go thing work we on didn't get draft. today, because I know huh. Pete Demolitolitolitis texted this to us and I couldn't look. But then he asked, like, I don't, why is 420 420? I don't really know the answer to that. And did he text us the answer to that? Because I'd like you to read that for us. No, he didn't. He wanted to know if you actually knew why 420 was linked with uh, Daddy Cigars. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I actually don't know. I've never looked it up. Um, but, I mean, you know, it has to do with the, t- the time, isn't it? The time that most people partake. At 4.20 in the afternoon? I I guess. I I really don't know. Yes, it's something to do. Well, it's April 20th. Okay, that's why it's 4.20. And then it has something to do with the time. But I actually am embarrassed to say as a daddy cigar (laughs) connoisseur that I don't even really know the meaning behind 4.20. All right. Okay, here we get an answer. Apparently started by a group of kids in California in the 1970s. They used okay. 420 as a code for when they would smoke after school before their parents got home. So it was oh, the, perfect the old time. code words. <laughs> yeah, I've had lots of code words in my day. Lots of code words. No, you just say it. You don't need to hide it. You just say it. You're like, I don't need a code word. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> well, I, I mean, usually I do. But when I was like early on in my NFL career or college, I might have been like, hey, you guys going to come over and have some Oreos later today? <laughs> Gonna have some Oreos in my house. That was code word for daddy cigars. So uh, yeah, I can. And they go and they go. That. Yeah, we'll we'll be over at four twenty, and you go. Wow, weirdly specific time, but okay, whatever. Well, it's crazy. That. Bring the milk. <laughs> cool. Well done, Chris. Good talking All to you right. again. You the man, dude. Keep safe over there. Say hi to the family. Yeah. You look so handsome in your little box there. Way to go, man. But that's it. Chris Sims unbuttoned. I'll be back on Wednesday with Paul Burmeister. We'll be doing the mock draft. And I know Friday we're going to do a reaction pod to the first round. And, of course, Ahmed mentioned all the interviews I got coming out this week. And there'll even be more that are not scheduled. So check that out on anywhere you get your uh, podcast on any platform. Peace out, homies. Be good. See you, Ahmed. Later. What do eight bags of concrete mix, a cooler full of 30-pound sea bass, and a 10-inch compound miter saw have in common? 
They're all things that are easier to load in and out of the bed of the new F-150. Thanks to its new available pro-access tailgate, that's also a swing gate. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024. Cargo and load capacity limited by weight and weight distribution. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.